Be careful, you never know what can happen when you take communion. <laughs> Thank you, Warren. It's always a, a pleasure to take communion with you. And If you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 40 through 45 this morning. We're going to be continuing in our study of the life of Christ through the Gospels and Today we're going to be looking at the account of Jesus cleansing the leper. When I was a, when I was a young boy, I was fairly cute. I was a, you know, kind of a towhead, and you know, I had a lot of friends. I played sports. I uh, had girlfriends, and you know those early elementary school years and, and into junior high. And, you know, it, my life was fairly good, didn't really have any problems. But, you know, all that began to change when I was uh, becoming an adolescent. You know, how it is, you, you kind of go through those awkward years. And, and in the eighth grade, you know, I had a girlfriend. And coming to the end of the eighth grade, she broke up with me. And I came to find out that it was because she was interested in an older man in high school. You know, he was a couple years older than me, and he was probably a foot taller than I was. And at, at the close of the eighth grade, we, you know, we had our eighth grade graduation, and to add insult to injury, you know, they didn't graduate us in alphabetical order. They graduated, graduated us by height. So they had all the... So they began with the shortest and ended with the tallest. And, you know, to this, to this day, I don't know why they did that, but I ended up in the first row on the far left side, and there were only two kids shorter than I was. So I was in the third seat, and to this very day, I can remember both of their names, Tim Hoops and Chris Ishikawa. I don't remember anybody on this side of me. Because I was so proud that I had two people, two people taller than me in my eighth grade class. The sad part was that by the time we went through the summer after the eighth grade into the ninth grade, they were both taller than me by the time we got to the ninth grade. And so when I, you know, and then getting into my ninth grade year, you know, I, I had kind of started gaining weight, you know, in the eighth grade and through the the summer after the eighth grade, and I ran into a, a friend of mine who was a year older than me at high school, and this was probably my first week of high school, and he said, this is what he had to say to me, he said, Lewis, too many donuts. <laughs> that was his greeting, and you know, I, I'll, I'll never forget that, because it hurt. You know, it hurt, you know, that somewhat rejection that you had, and you know, I wanted, I wanted to be liked, I wanted people to like me, I wanted people to, to reach out to me. But even looking back at my own life, I know that I didn't have it nearly as hard as other people. You know, there are other people that go through so much more with their lives. And in fact, I had a neighbor who lived just a few houses down from me. He had a, a, a very severe case of eczema. And, you know, he grew up and kids, you know, would call him names. And, uh, you know, he became very much a loner. And in fact, his mother left he and his brother and his father. Never, never to have anything to, to really do with them ever again. And, you know, it was very hard for me, for me to, to see this as he was growing up. And, 
you know, to think how, how tragic it would be to have your mother leave you, you know, kids tease you and the world reject you. And, you know, that's how it is for so many people. You know, people feel rejected. People feel uh, excluded. And, you know, as a young boy, as an adolescent, I wanted somebody to like me. I wanted people to like me. And I remember, you know, just wanting somebody to, to reach out and touch me. And this one day I was riding down the street on my bicycle, you know, just kind of slowly riding. And I looked over at this other young boy's house that I was talking about. And he was sitting on his front porch. And I noticed he had a BB gun and he was pumping it. And so I thought, this is probably the best time for me to start pumping my pedals. <laughs> and so the harder I pumped my pedals, the harder I could see him pumping this BB gun. And he reached out and touched me with that BB gun, <laughs> right in my backside. That's not exactly what I thought would be the way I wanted to be reached out to, but he did. And we actually became friends. You know, we, we ended up you know, growing up uh, and, and being friends through high school and, uh, you know, as friends with his family. And, but we're going to look at a story of a man today that Jesus truly reaches out to, a man that was excluded from all of society, a man that was hurting probably physically as well as emotionally, soci- you know, socially. And Jesus reaches out to this man and he this, restores this person's identity, restores this, this man's dignity, And he really brings him from leprosy to life. And what we've been seeing in in the life of Jesus up to this time is that, you know, he's beginning to grow in his popularity. People are coming out, they're following him, and he's, you know, these huge crowds, and he can't really find anywhere to go. So no matter where he goes, there's these crowds. And, you know, the Pharisees haven't really turned against him, and we're going to see that that they do in the weeks to come. We're going to see that they, they want to to uh, accuse Jesus. They don't like that Jesus is claiming to have this authority. But up to this point, there's, uh, we have seen that Jesus does have authority. He has authority to teach. He has authority to teach, and we see this in Mark chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. It says that he taught them as one who had authority. We also have seen that he has authority to deliver In verse 27 of Mark 1, he says, he commands even the unclean spirits. The demons have to submit to him. We also have seen that he has the authority to heal. When he healed Simon's mother-in-law in in verses 30 through 31 of Mark chapter 1. Basically, this woman is on her deathbed, but Jesus heals her and brings her back to life. And then we saw last week as Zach talked, about in Luke chapter 5, that that Jesus has authority over creation. When he tells Peter, put out into deep water and you will have a catch. And we know that Peter has been trying all night and he just says, you know, just because you've asked me, I'll do it. And when Jesus causes this great catch, Peter stands before Jesus and he says, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. Now Jesus has authority. But today we're going to look at a not only that Jesus has the ability to heal a, a, a horrible, horrible disease, but we're going to also see where that stems from, why Jesus is, is reaching out to heal people. And it's because he has compassion. He has kindness. Jesus has a heart for people, and that's why he came. And So let's read in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. It says, and a leper came to him, 
imploring him. And kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter." You know, there are so many things in this passage that we could talk about. But what I want to look at is three things, really, that Jesus does. Three reasons that Jesus gives for healing this man and, 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 and what Jesus does and, and how we as Christians, how we can emulate Jesus. Obviously, we can't emulate Jesus perfectly. He's the Son of God. And, but he does call us to follow him, doesn't he? So we as Christians can learn from these things. So the first one... And these, three, these are three effects that Jesus has on unclean people. And the first one is this. Jesus attracts the unclean by his reputation. Jesus' reputation is out there. People are hearing about him and they're coming. And that's why this leper comes to him. We read in verse 40 again. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him. And kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. It says that this, was, uh, this man was a leper and... You know, being a leper had a lot of physical implications, but it also had social implications. You know, it wasn't just a disease that was internal that nobody could see. You know, some of you have gotten the email that I have a bad back, and you've come up and, and asked me how I'm doing, and, and uh, I, I assume you're praying for me, and I thank you for that. But if I didn't tell anybody, you wouldn't know. But this man's disease was just the opposite, wasn't it? It was outward, it was, it was on his face, it was on his hands, it was everywhere. And because of that, you know, there were uh, emotional implications. I mean, that you had this horrible disease, disfiguring disease. And people could see it no matter where. And there, and there were, you know, many different types of leprosy from a minor type to what, what this man had, a major type of leprosy. You know, I think about my... My friend growing up, there probably wasn't a day that my friend didn't have that he didn't want this to be gone from him. And I'm sure that's the case with this, this man who was a leper, too. He wanted it gone, but you know, he couldn't make it go away. And you see this man coming for healing, and he's not just desiring a physical healing. You know, there's so much more. And as I said, there's different types of leprosy, but he, this man had a, a, a full-blown case of leprosy. And this type of leprosy actually starts with uh, tiny specks on the skin or on the eyelids and it begins to cause numbness and it attacks the nervous system so that you don't feel anything and because you don't feel anything you can get injured you can get hurt you can cause damage to yourself just by scratching yourself and you don't feel it eventually you know it's, it's a slow process that it spreads throughout the whole body and and eventually brings forth death and I've been heard it said that it was called death by inches it's a slow process over the years. And, and how do we know that it was this type of, of leprosy or it was the, the worst case? Because Luke says in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. This is a parallel passage that Luke is bringing that, you know, with Mark in Mark chapter 1. 
So we know this man was full of leprosy. And I remember as a young kid, not as a believer, but as a young kid seeing a movie, Ben-Hur. And Ben-Hur gets uh, thrown into slavery and his, his mother and his sister get thrown into a dungeon. And eventually Ben-Hur comes back and they, they, the, the uh, centurions go to look for them and they find out that they're lepers in the dungeon. And so they take him out and they bring him to the valley of lepers to live. And it's a very realistic uh, portrayal of, of what it was for a leper. They had to live outside the city. They, had to live in, they were living in this valley and they would bring them food out and they would pass it down to them on a, on a pulley system. They couldn't come into the city. They couldn't be with other people. And I remember this one scene that they actually go into town to look for their son and brother and they come and, and they say, you know, these people see them and, and they start to run away horrified. Lepers. You know, and they just start to run away and that's, that's what it would be like for somebody with leprosy. You read in Leviticus chapter 13 verses 45 through 46, it says, the leprous person who has the, the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And can you imagine you're at home one day with your, your family and you realize you have leprosy? You obviously don't want the rest of your family to get it, so what do you do? You go show yourself to the priest. The priest determines that you have leprosy, and immediately you're an outcast. You have to go live outside the city, and you have to wear torn clothes. And torn clothes so people could see the rest of your skin. Isn't that just the opposite of what we would want to do? I mean, if we had this disease, we'd want to cover up so nobody would know. But the law says that you had to wear torn clothes so everybody could see that you were a leper. You had to... To have scraggly hair, you had to cover your mouth when you saw when you came along other people, and you had to cover your mouth and say, unclean, unclean. You know, besides that, there were Roman laws against lepers. Not only did you have to, you know, live outside the city, you, you could only live with other lepers. And if you were caught in the city and around around uh, people who didn't have leprosy, you could be immediately killed for being a leper because that would be protecting the society. So this is a horrible, horrible thing. And so, you know, when you see that, that this is the case, when this man comes into the city, it shows that he is desperate. He's willing to risk his very life to go and see this man who he has heard, this man's reputation, this man that can heal anybody and everybody. And he, he's going to find Jesus no matter what. He's risking his very life. And, you know, what, what would you do if you had happened to bump into this man, how would you react if you knew that you could catch this disease from him? But this leper came to him and says he, he came to Jesus imploring him. And you know, he's not supposed to be there. He's, there's this huge crowd and he's not allowed to be there. He's breaking the law. But did Jesus rebuke him? You're breaking the law. Go away. No, Jesus isn't like that. You know, Jesus looks at this man. He looks at him deeply he looks right through the man's skin and right through the man's sin and he looks at his heart and he doesn't he doesn't Jesus doesn't look at the external does he aren't we glad for that 
No, he doesn't look at how tall you are, how handsome you are, how beautiful you are. No, he looks at the internal. He looks for our hearts. And Jesus looks at the man, this man's heart. Jesus looks at this man's faith. And you know, that's what Jesus is doing with us. He's doing it for, for people. He, he looks at our hearts and he says, does this person's heart want me? doesn't matter all that they've gone through. doesn't matter what they are. doesn't matter about their sin. Are they coming to me in faith? Jesus doesn't care about the external. He's looking for faith. And verse 40 again says, And a leper came to him, imploring him. It, it, it has this idea of pleading. He gets down on his knees. If you will, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say if you can. If you will, he knows that Jesus has the power to do it. He doesn't say if it's possible. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. No, he knows that... He knows that Jesus has the power. He knows that Jesus can heal him. He knows that Jesus has the reputation and Jesus has the reputation that doesn't repel the outcast but attracts them because they know that that Jesus is their only hope. That's why this man is willing to break the law. This man had nowhere to turn but Jesus and he's heard about his reputation. Notice it it doesn't say, you can make me well says, you can make me clean. I think there's more to it than just a physical healing that he's looking for. He's wanting everything. He's wanting to be restored, not only his health, but restored to his family, restored uh, to his community, restored to God. Make me clean. I want to be clean. And, you know, for us, you know, we, we know that we are in many ways like this leper, aren't we, before we're Christians? We're unclean before God. We are alienated from God's people. We're outcasts from his family. And we're outside the camp. We're not part of the family until, until we come to Jesus and Jesus makes us clean. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, Jesus has this reputation, doesn't he? It's a reputation that he heals. But when we come into contact with him, when we come into faith, he makes us a new creation. But he doesn't just make us a new creation just for ourselves, does he? No, he, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That's us going out. That's us having a reputation. Us living like Christ. Us being different so that we can reach out to a people that also needs to know him. To other people that may look like lepers to us. The, the outcasts, the sinful. That we would have a, an impact on them and say, you know, come. Let me introduce you to this one that has the ability to make you clean. This man, you know, in so many ways, he's a, a social outcast. He can't go to the market to buy food. He, he can't change his clothes. He can't hug his wife. If he has children, they can't sit on his lap. He's socially unclean and spiritually unclean. And he couldn't even observe the law. He couldn't bring a tithe because he didn't have a job. He couldn't go to the temple to offer sacrifices because he wasn't allowed there. You know, and most people saw him as being cursed... 
couple of years ago, you know, when we started talking about being baptized on a more frequent basis and you know, talking about communion and baptism and, and just kind of elevating our view of communion and baptism, I had a man who was very, very ill in our church and he called me. And he said, I, I heard what Pastor Zach said I, and I, I want to be baptized, but I'm so sick. I have all these ailments and I can't really come to church. Would you come over and baptize me at my house? And so I went over to his house and, and talked to him and we did a Bible study and we prayed and I, I prayed for his physical healing. But I, I remember that he was more concerned, not with his physical healing, but with his spiritual healing. He wanted to be clean. I realize I haven't been obeying God and I want to be clean before him. So I remember he had filled up his, his bathtub, but because he wasn't physically able, his cold water was not working. So the water was extremely hot in his bathtub. So I, I had to fill up, <laughs> go to the sink and pour a lot of cold water from the sink and eventually got it cool enough that I could sit him down in his bathtub and baptize him. I'm so grateful that I, I had to do that. But, but I'm grateful that this man, who was an outcast, wanted to be exclu- I mean, included into the family of God. He wanted to be part. He wanted to take part, but he couldn't. It's much like this, this man who was a leper. This man who was a leper, think about it. He wants to, to see Jesus. He wants to go before Jesus. But really, he can't because he would be breaking the law to do it. And so what does he do? He comes to Jesus sinning. You know, he's a sinner. But he comes to Jesus sinning by breaking the law. Isn't that like us? You know, we're not only sinners when we come to Jesus. No, when we come to Jesus, we come sinning. We don't clean ourselves up. I remember, you know, when I became a Christian, you know, I have a pretty wild past. You know, I was used drugs alcohol. The day before I became a Christian, I had a party at my house that did all kinds of wild things. And I said to my friend that, that late that night, I said, pick me up for church tomorrow. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was working on me. And so he, before he got to my house, I actually got up and did some drugs before he picked me up. So I came to church. Hi. I didn't get my act all cleaned up. You know, I did put on some nicer clothes, but I didn't get my act cleaned up. I didn't say, oh, you know, if I, I know if I'm going to go to church, i got to be right. I had no idea. I, I was clueless to what I should do. So I just came, just as I am. I came, and I gave my life to Christ. I, like this leper, I bowed before him, a sinner sinning, and he transformed my life. I didn't have to clean myself up. If you think that, well, I want to come to Christ, but I want to clean myself up first, then, and I want to get rid of all my sin, then, and then eventually when I, when I clean my act up, then I want to come and ask for forgiveness, then you don't understand the gospel. You know, the gospel is about him doing the, the cleansing, isn't it? We don't clean ourselves up and then come to him. No, he cleans us. And even as believers... We do not approach the throne of God in our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. You know, he begins to clean us up, doesn't he? And even as he cleans us up, there's not a day that we're going to stand before him and say, well, you clean me up and look how good I am now. 
we're going to stand there and say, the only thing I have to offer is, is the righteousness of Christ. I don't come to you in my righteousness. I come to you in his righteousness. This is years of being Christians. Philippians, Paul says this in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. He says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss. What's he talking about? All his religious activity, who he was as an Israelite. He says, I count all these things as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness of God that depends on faith. Now we come to him in faith and he gives us Christ's righteousness. And the solution is not for us to clean ourselves up, but to come to the one who can clean us up. I love what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther, one of the greatest saints that the church has ever seen. Started the Protestant Reformation in, in Germany and, you know, really transformed the way we worship. We are part of that legacy. On his deathbed, he, he said this, he said, we are beggars. We are beggars. Wait a second, Martin, aren't, weren't you a, a great asset to the church? No, we are beggars. We have nothing to offer. But, but what does Christ do? He, he comes and he reconciles us to God. He transforms our lives and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, just as Jesus has a reputation, we should have a reputation. We should have a good reputation. In fact, for, for elders in the church, it says that they must have a good reputation outside the church. And we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. It says, moreover, the elder, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. He must be, have a good reputation. Or Proverbs 22, 1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Are you seeking a good name? Are you seeking to have a reputation that people at work say, you know, I can trust that person. You know, I, I notice that that person's different. They have, a, they have a good name. Or Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As Christians, we should be living in such a way that people look at us and they go, you know, that, that person's different. There's something about them. Yes, we should use words. But we should also live in such a way that they really know that we're different, that we have a, a good reputation. You know, our job is to shine. We are, in a way, we are Christ's reputation. You know, when people look at us, do they think of Jesus? You know, when they look at us, are they attracted to him? Do they say, well, you know, I really like his followers, so I want to be one of them. Or do they say, I don't like Jesus' followers, so why would I, why would I become one of them? You know, so we're to, we're to have a, a good reputation so that people are drawn to us and eventually drawn to Jesus. So Jesus does... He attracts the unclean by his reputation, and, and we can too. But secondly, we see in this passage that Jesus touches the unclean by his compassion. 
He touches the unclean by his compassion. We see this in, in verse 41. It says, Moved with pity, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. You know that Jesus didn't have to touch this man? He could have simply just said, be clean. And it doesn't say that he went up and he said, be clean. And once he was clean, then he reached out and touched him because he was fearful that he might get the leprosy if he touched him or, or that he even would become unclean. No, it's just as I will. And he reached out and touched him, be clean. And, you know, could you imagine how this man felt for the first time being touched by another human being in a long time? Jesus reaches out and touches him and he hadn't been touched in years. He hadn't, if he had a wife, he hadn't touched his wife in years. And if he had children, they, they hadn't sat on his lap. And for you and I, you know, if, if we saw this leper with the disease that he had and, you know, this horrible disease, what would we do? Would we reach out and say, touch him? When, when people have a cold and we see him coming up the stairs, we... we <laughs> We put our hands in our pocket. I, I'm not going to touch that guy. We don't want to catch a cold, let alone leprosy. But the very thing that this man had, it was probably very repulsive. The very thing that would make us sick to our stomachs stirs Jesus' heart. Stirs his heart. And what does Jesus say? I will. I will, and I think he calls us to say I will too. As we see the outcasts come in, as we see people in, in need in the church, do we have that attitude? I will. I will reach out to you. I will help you. I will allow you to sit next to me in church. I will help you move when you need help moving. I will open my house to you. I will buy you something to eat. I will give you something to drink. I will love you like Christ loves you. Remember what Jesus said? And as much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. I remember years ago we were going to move somebody in our mini church. And so I was asking all the guys, hey, you going to come out and help? And I remember asking this one guy, hey, you're going to help us move? He said, he said this. He said, I will pray about it. <laughs> what does that mean? No. no. Should we pray about it? Maybe. The Bible says we should pray about everything, right? Pray continually. But there's some things. There's some things that the, the Bible's clear on. I mean, can you imagine walking down the street and you see an old lady that fell down? Let me pray about picking her up. No. I mean, there's some things that God commands us to do that we just do. Because we have the heart and, and, and compassion that Jesus has. We love people. We reach out to them. We say, do you need help? Let me help you with that. No, I, I will. And Jesus says, I want to. He, he says that I have a desire to. It's, it's not I have to. Not... You know, this is part of my, my job description. I, re I really want to. And 
this is, I think, one of those times we can say, what would Jesus do? We live by his example and, you know, we, we look out for those who have the greatest needs and we say, let me help this person. But so many times we, we do just the opposite. We, we try to get away from those who are needy. Oh, that person's needy. I'm going to avoid them. Often I hear this. Well, let's go talk to Pastor Jeff. Let's see what he can do for you. No, why don't, what about us? I had a man just a couple weeks ago. He, took a, he and his wife took a, a homeless lady home to stay with them. I praise God for that. He, he, he did his best and he really tried to get her into a shelter and you know, really reach out to her and feed her and, and care for her. It says Jesus was moved, moved with pity. Indicates that there was this depth, was deep within himself that, to say, you know, I, I want to reach out with compassion to this man. In October, my wife and I went to China on our, on our mission trip and just before we were leaving, our, I, have a, I had a cat. <laughs> I love this cat. This cat would attack me and play with me. And, and just before I was leaving, I, we noticed it wasn't doing real well. So I didn't think much of it. We went to China, and I got an email from my daughter. And she said, took Russell to the vet. Russell's the cat. And, and uh, he's doing better. Well, a couple days le- later, we got on Skype, and we were Skyping with her. And... And so, you know, we're talking. I said, well, how's Russell? She says, we had to put him to sleep. And I thought she was kidding. And unsensitive father that I am, don't kid around. My daughter started to cry, and I'm not kidding. And it made me sad. Sad for the cat, but also sad for my daughter. You know, that I would say something insensitive like that, unknowing. You know, and it, it did, it bothered me. And, you know, recently we've had a few deaths in our, in our church or people in our church that had family members that have died. And, you know, I, I look at them and, you know, I know what they're going through. And, and sometimes, you know, what, what do they want? You to put your arm around them, right? You know, they don't want you to fix them. They just want you to care for them and listen to them and, and that's what we do we do that because we're Christians and we care and because we're like Jesus and so we see that you know there are often people that are caught in their sin they're caught in their circumstances and are you put off by them or do you have pity on them if we're going to be like Christ we need to Pray, Lord, help me to have the compassion that you have and let me reach out to them and let me reach out to people of the church that I know are hurting. Don't let me, don't let me just turn away and go down the side exits because I don't want to talk to this person. No, let's, let's take a chance. Let's see what God does. So secondly, Jesus touches the unclean by his compassion, but lastly, Jesus cleanses the unclean by his power. Jesus cleanses the unclean by his power. Again, in verse 41 and 42. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
Now, this is the healing standard, isn't it? This isn't just a, a bacterial infection, the bacteria being gone. But this is a man who could have lost limbs, being completely restored. I mean, if you would have saw this man, you would have seen a complete change in his body. And, you know, nobody, nobody has the ability that Jesus has. You know, we have, we do, we do believe that, that God heals and we believe that, that Jesus heals. We believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that. But, but what do we do? We bring them to Jesus. How do we do that? We pray for them. We obey God and what he calls us to. We believe that God heals. and he, That's why we have our elders up front at the end of the service because we believe that in faith we come and we ask and we say, let's pray, let's anoint them with oil as it says in James chapter 5. That's why we have healing services because we believe that Jesus heals today. But we know we know that there's something different about Jesus, don't we? Jesus has the power to heal and he changes lives. And, you know, it's not always just spiritual healing, is it? It's, it's, it's physical healing, it's spiritual healing, it's emotional healing. You know, Jesus proves here that he is different than everyone else because nobody else can do what Jesus does. That's what made him Jesus. And as I said, we would fear touching a leper because, you know, leprosy could be transferred to us and we don't want that to happen. But Jesus, he doesn't fear touching this man. He doesn't fear touching this man. He, you know, Jesus stands there and he says, you know, this man needs me and I know that I can heal this man. He knows that he can make this, this unclean man clean by his power. And Jesus isn't, he isn't religious like the Pharisees, is he? You know, he, you know religion, religion says this, that, you know, you have to stay away from the soiled. You have to stay away from the tainted. You have to stay away from the stained. You know, we become Christians and we say, oh, let's, I don't want to be around anybody else that might, you know, be, uh, have a, a negative impact on me. And I think there's a measure of wisdom if you're not strong in a certain area. I mean, bad company does corrupt good morals. We know that. But, but also, we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go into a world and to live differently among them. I think we should be around the unclean. Jesus went to, into the tax collectors. He went into the sinners. And that, that was so repulsive to the Pharisees. That's why Jesus is different. He reaches out to those who are unclean. And if you think about it, up to this point in history, whenever two things got together, the clean and the unclean, what happened? The clean became unclean. See, the ceremonial law says that if you were to touch a leper or anything that was unclean, you became unclean. And therefore you had to go through these ceremonial washings to make yourself clean again. But notice that that doesn't happen with Jesus. I mean, think about this. You have, you have two, you have a glass, a dirty glass of water. It's just filthy glass of water. And you have a perfectly clean glass of water. And you start to pour the two of them back and forth. What are you going to get? Two dirty glasses of water. You're not going to get two clean glasses of water. But with Jesus, it's completely different. When Jesus touches the leper, just the opposite happens. 
Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. No, Jesus, he's above all. Jesus can't be made unclean. So he touches this man and he's immediately healed through his power. And it says in verse 43 through 44, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. This man's old identity is gone. Just by a simple touch and a command, be clean from Jesus. Jesus changes this man and he's given him an entirely new identity. That sounds familiar with us, doesn't it? He touches us and he gives us a, a new identity. And that's what we read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are new creations. You know, if you have been saved, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you, if you believe that he lived a perfect life for you and that he died on a cross for your sins and he bore the punishment that was due you, then you're not yourself anymore. You're a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. We're a, a better version, an upgraded version. Problem is, though, sometimes we don't want to stop acting like we're, we're our, our new self. We want, to, we want to act like our old self. We want to hold on to all those things that we once had. We want to hold on to all the labels that we once had. What are some of those labels that people will hold on to? I'm an alcoholic. You know, I belong to a, a dysfunctional family. I'm codependent. That, that's, why, that's why I do the things that I do. Because I'm holding on to the old self. And I'm not really embracing the new. No, we need, we need to understand that sometimes our lives are wrapped up in those labels that we have. And, you know, they're wrapped up in our sin. But your sin is not who you, who you are. Your sin is what you do. Yes, we're, we're by nature sinners. But when we come to Christ, we've been freed from that sin. And we can start to live. And we can start to lay aside the old self. And we can start to walk. We can start to take off all those old labels. No, we need to take off all of our labels. And put on that new label of new creation. I'm a new creation. When the temptation comes to live like your old self, you can say, I'm a new creation. When your tendency is to be selfish, you can say, no, I'm a, a new creation. When you see somebody in need, you can say, and that tendency is to, to turn away from them, you can say, no, I'm a, I'm a new creation. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 22, 22 through 24, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so you have this man, he's full of, full of leprosy, and he's healed by Jesus and his command to live. He doesn't just get changed and cleansed by Jesus. What is he? He's told now, go do this. Go obey the law. And that's like us. When we become Christians, we don't just live in our old life. He's not commanded to go live outside the camp any longer. He's not commanded to be an outcast. He's not commanded to continue in his sin. He's commanded to go live. And that's what we are commanded to do as Christians. To live a life worthy of what God has called us to. 
We need to learn to, to reach out to strangers and be attractive to them by our reputation, to touch them by our compassion, to bring them to Jesus because Jesus is the only one that can truly heal them. He has that, that cleansing power. And, you know, people need to know that, that Jesus is there for them. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's, our, that's our Savior. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But we need to, to tell people, right, come. Come, invite them to church. As Zach talked about a few weeks ago, ask them this question. How are you? How are you doing? Can I pray for you? Be salt and light in the world. And I, let me finish with this, this story. It's out of a biography by a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor in, in England, and he had a, a growing, vibrant ministry, and he was in this small town, and his church was growing. And there was this man in this town called Staffordshire Bill. He was a drunkard. He was a fish vendor who... who um, who had a, a successful business, but not because of him. He actually would buy fish, and then he would transport them to his shop, and, and, but he was always drunk, and so he would fall asleep in his cart, but his donkey knew the way, so his donkey would make it there. And, but he was always drunk, and he was often found in a pub, and this one evening, he was in this pub, and these two men were talking. And as he, they were talking, they were saying, did you hear about this new preacher that's in town? And and so Bill began to listen. And they, he hears him say this. He preached this last Sunday, there's hope for everybody. And Bill began to think, if there's hope for everybody, then there's hope for me. So determined, he, he wants to go to church this next Sunday. And he gets himself cleaned up. He puts on his best clothes. And he gets to the church and he gets too nervous. And so he just turns around and goes home. Never been in church, got too nervous, I'm going to go home. And he keeps on saying to himself, if there's hope for everybody, then there's hope for me. Next Sunday he comes, he gets to church, and as he walks up to church, he hears singing. So he knows he's late. So he just turns around and goes home, and he, he gets home, and he can't sleep throughout the week, and keeps on saying to himself, if, if there's hope for everybody, then there's hope for me. Third week gets there, and gets to church and starts walking up and just gets nervous. This is his pattern. I'm just, forget it. You know, I'm just going to give up. I'm going to go home. And as he turns around to walk away, he hears a voice. Bill, come sit with us. This couple reached out to him. So he goes in and he sits with them and you know, he hears this sermon and these people treat him like a, a normal person. And with dignity, he hears the sermon and he comes to Christ. After the, after the service, this couple brings him up to Martin Lloyd-Jones and says, the guy says, this is Staffordshire Bill. And he says, no, no. That's a bad old name. 
That's not my name. I would rather be called William Thomas. In a moment, God changed this man. And is that what you hear Jesus say? If there's hope for everybody, there's hope for me. Paul said that he was the worst of sinners. No matter who you are, there's hope for you. And even as Christians, no matter what we're going through, there's hope for us because there's hope for everybody. And in coming to Christ, William Thomas was given a new identity, a completely new identity. And if you're not a Christian, there's hope for you and you can come to Christ and you can have a new identity like the rest of us who are like the leper who was given a new identity. And if you're not a Christian, I would encourage you to just call out to the Savior. The Savior is the one that can save you. He has the power to change your life. We're going to have elders down here in just a few minutes after the service. Come and, and, and no matter what it is, don't think of yourself any longer as an outcast. Come, come, be prayed for. Let us, a church, embrace you as Christ embrace you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you so much. You're just an amazing God who saves sinners. And we simply come to your son Jesus as sinners sinning. Lord, we can't clean up our act, but you can. And we just thank you for the grace that you've given us, that we can stand before you in, in the righteousness of Christ. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. Lord, we thank you for your church and that we can come and, and worship you because you are worthy to be worshiped. And we thank you that you've given us the ability to do so together, that we can gather as Christians and sing your praises. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, shall we stand and, and worship our God together? As I said, the elders will be forward. If you have any need, please come and get prayer.